Open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And he himself, Jesus that is, he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things unto him which is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Father, what, what a blueprint for a successful church, a church that is growing, a church that is unified, a church that reflects the fullness of Jesus. Father, this is your will for North Valley Bible Church, this passage that we have just read. And so, Father, I pray today, God, that you will guide us as we walk through this passage. Open the eyes of our understanding, Lord. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just be our teacher today, that the Spirit of Christ would convince us of things that He has given us as a spiritual gift, that He would reveal to us the way that we can be used in this body, and Lord, how that we can benefit from people who around us are, who are gifted in areas that we are not. Lord, I pray that this would bring unity to our church, it would bring growth to our church, but most importantly, that our church would come to the measure of the stature of Christ, that we would be mature believers. Father, my prayer for North Valley Bible Church is that we wouldn't be blown and tossed by all the various teachings. And God, never before, Christianity is being assaulted, and it's being assaulted from within. When Paul called the Ephesian elders, he says, those who are within are going to rise up to draw disciples after themselves. And so, God, a lot of the attack that we're finding is within Christendom itself. A lot of false teaching, a lot of wind of doctrine, a lot of cunning, tricky, and craftiness to deceive people. And so, Father, I pray today that you would anchor us in solid biblical doctrine, that Christ would be glorified, that we would be mature believers, that we would grow and no longer be children. This is your will for our church, and we know that you hear these things because if we pray anything according to your will, we know that you hear us, and we know that we have the petition that we have desired of you. 
Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, You may be seated. As we read through this passage, one of the things that you may have seen repeated, and that was the body of Christ, the unity, the oneness, but also the, the corporateness of God's people. In Western culture and Western Christianity, we have tended to individualize our Christian experience. It's all about me and Jesus, and my own quiet time, and my own devotion time, and my own prayer life, and and those things are wonderful, I'm not demeaning them, but that is not the emphasis of the New Testament. The New Testament is that we grow, and we do it corporately that we are a body. And I think a lot of, of, of individualism is just a, a, a offshoot of Augustine's theology that was carried on by a lot of the Reformers. But when you read the New Testament, you sense that what we do, we do corporately, we do as a body. Now, that does not neglect our individual responsibility to have time with Christ and to be rightly connected to our head but it's not so that I can just get more and more from Jesus. It's not this self-centered Christianity that what does God have for me? It's what does God want to pour into my heart? How can God change me and transform me personally so that I can be a blessing to the body of Christ? That's the New Testament emphasis. And in this passage, it's over and over again, we see the body mentioned. It's till we all come into the unity of the Spirit till we all attain the measure of the fullness of Christ. Each part does its share so that the entire body grows, so that we are no longer children tossed to and fro. In fact, the whole book of Ephesians is a letter that's corporately designed to show what God is doing through Jew and Gentile, and that God has planned this from all eternity past, that he was going to choose a people in Christ Jesus, and that he was going to bring unity to people, and that they were going to grow corporately together. And unity is the theme from 4 to verse 16. First of all, he says that we are to endeavor. It's a participle, but the idea is a command. I want you to work hard at preserving the unity of the Spirit to maintain what God has already provided. And he spent three chapters, Paul goes into three chapters of theology of what God has done to provide unity. The commandments, they were contrary to us. There was no way we could fulfill any of the commandments. And not only did the commandments alienate us from God, they alienate us from one another. The Jews had their own set of commandments that put them at odds with Gentiles. They had a section in their temple. Archaeologists have found this on big tablets of stone that Gentiles were warned not to pass this place in the temple or you would be put to death. And there was a literal wall of separation when they worshipped. And Paul goes on to say that that middle wall in Christ Jesus has been torn down. He says that the law and commandments that brought separation... They have been fulfilled in Christ. So I have complete restoration with Father God because Jesus has fulfilled all the law perfectly. He imputes to you and I perfect righteousness. 
And those laws, those dietary laws, those worship laws, those laws of tithings and givings that were just for the Jewish people, they separated Jew and Gentile as well. And now we are the body of Christ. And that has been done away. And so our job is to maintain the unity, to keep what God has already provided for us. We're to preserve it. And then he goes on to say in the same chapter that doctrinally we have so much that unites us and doesn't separate us. He says we have one faith, one baptism, one Lord. We have one God, the Father, who is over all, through all, and in you all. And then he says, and to each one of you gifts are given and that we are to use these gifts to bring unity. And then he gets to 417. He says, now God has given gifted people to the church to equip you for works of ministry until we all do what? Until we all come to the unity of the faith. So it's a corporate idea that Paul is getting at here when we think of spiritual growth. I know that I have grown more when I am in fellowship with God and when I am in fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ, that is when I grow the fastest. That's when I really sense God's presence in my life is when I am in communion with Him and when I'm in communion with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's what Paul is driving at in this passage. So God gives gifted people. We covered it last Sunday, so I'm not going to go into the apostles and who they were. I just want to quickly say that they had special gifts for a special purpose in a special season. And that period is ended with the last apostle John who died. We're not to add anything to the book of Revelation. He was the last living apostles. These apostles were given special sign gifts to authenticate that they were directly sent by Jesus. They were given special revelation that other people didn't receive. We're told this in Ephesians chapter 3. In other generations, these things were hidden from men, but now God has revealed them to the apostles and prophets. Ephesians chapter 2 that says, we have been built. It's a passive verb. It's an aorist tense verb, which means it's a completed act in the past. We have been built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. He is the chief cornerstone. For other foundation can no man lay, which has been laid, which is Christ Jesus. And now we are building on that foundation. And we are building a habitation for Christ to dwell within the church. That's what we are doing now. We're building on that foundation of the apostles. Then God gave evangelists. Those, the, the Greek word for evangelists is actually sort of a, a uh, transliteration of the Greek word to uangelizomai, to share good news. So an evangelist, we looked at Philip last week, how Philip went to the city of Samaria. He preached to the Samaritans. They all gave heed to him with one accord. So an evangelist is somebody who has the gift of sharing the good news with people. He went on and shared the good news with the Ethiopian eunuch, sat down in the chariot with him, opened up the scripture with him. And from that passage, man, what an opportunity. Could you imagine sitting down next to some guy on the plane and he opens up the Bible and he turns to Isaiah 53 and he starts reading. He says, now what is this all about? Can you tell me? Nudges you on the shoulder. Man, that would be a wonderful opportunity, wouldn't it? Well, that's what Philip got to do. And then after he spoke to the, the Ethiopian eunuch, they said, Here's a pool of water. What hinders me from being baptized? He says, if you believe with all your heart, thou mayest. And they went down to the water and he baptized him. And the Ethiopian went on his way rejoicing. And he planted churches in North Africa. There is a church today in North Africa. And I think that's where it started, through that Ethiopian eunuch. It's a Coptic church. And they've got the Coptic um, Bible. Uh, but anyway, that's a, another story. Not, not for today. Uh, uh, where was I going with all this? Oh, yes. 
Well, after he left there, he, it says that he just went from city to city to city preaching the good news. And then God has given to the church pastors and teachers. One office. Now, you don't have to have the office to do the work. You may have the gift of pastoral ministry, and you don't have to have a title. You don't have to have a name behind you. You don't have to have any special initials or special recognition from man to do the ministry of shepherding people. You may have a shepherd's gift that you care about people, that you want to warn people, that you want to come alongside. When you see a burden, you want to do something to fix it. Jesus is the model of the chief shepherd, isn't he? He's the chief pastor. And in Mark chapter 6 and verse 40, it says, Jesus saw the multitudes... And Jesus was moved with compassion because they were as sheep, not having a pastor, a shepherd. He saw the need. He saw that they were scattered. He saw that they were immature, that they were floating about. And so you know what it says that Jesus did? He began to teach them many things. That's the spiritual gift of shepherding, pastoring. When you see something and you say, you know what? I know how to fix it. I want to teach it. I want to share with that person. First Peter, First Peter chapter five, is addressed to elders. Elders, we went through this last week, so I'm not going to go through a lot. Elders, overseers, pastors, same terms, well, different terms, same office. They describe the work of a pastor. One pastor, poinema, means you watch over a flock. It means you shepherd, you guard, you look out for bad teaching. The other one is episkopos, which means an overseer, Old King James, New King James, uses the word bishop. A bishop is one who oversees. He sees the, the, the whole plan of where it needs to go and where it can... It doesn't mean that he has to have his fingers in everything because Peter says an overseer is not to lord it over his flock. Then the other word is elder. It, it implies somebody who's mature, somebody who's practical, someone who has experience because they've gone through a lot of stuff in their life. I remember when I first pastored, I was about 29 years old, and believe me, I was not an elder. I didn't have a lot of experience. And that first church, it blew up. And part of it was my fault, but part of it, I didn't, I, I was in the wrong place. My gifts in that church, we were like oil and water trying to mix. And um, I can tell you a few things that, that, that about that church, that, that, and you can see why it didn't actually fit. I, I was uh, told that people couldn't come in through our doors unless a woman had a dress on. I said, show me that, in, you know, that's not in the Bible. Um, I was not allowed to make reference to the Greek New Testament, and I'd spent three years studying the Greek New Testament. This is because that undermines the King James Bible. I thought, oh my goodness, I'm in the wrong church. Well, after about 18 months, we parted ways, but I made a mess of things. I really did. And I called a pastor who is my age now, and he seems like he's so much wiser than I am right now. Bill Gustafson, I'll never forget talking to him. He got in his car and he drove 75 miles one way, and that man was an elder. He had been through wars, and he looked at me and he says, if you're going to be a pastor, you've got to get grit. Because I mean, I had no grit. I did, I, I mean, if somebody wanted to start a fight, I would just, okay, I'm out of here. You know, I, I lacked grit. And elders are those who have walked through life. They've raised children. 
They know what it's like to have financial difficulties. They know what it's like to come before God and plead with God for help. And so that's the office that he says that God gives to the church. These gifted men and women. Now, I don't believe in women pastors in the office, but there are women who have that pastoral gift. I, I think um, Priscilla and Aquila, that, that husband team, she would open up the word of God with people. She does, I think Iota and Synthache in the book of Philippians had that spiritual gift. And so there's that giftedness of being a shepherd. Now, what does a shepherd do? A shepherd takes people where they're at and he prepares them for greater work. He sees potential in them. It says that they are given to equip people for works of ministry. The word to equip, it's found only once in the entire New Testament, and this is the passage. It's katartizo. No, I'm sorry, it's katartizomai. The verb is katartizo, and it means to take something that's broken and to mend it and to repair it so it can be used. That verb is used in Mark chapter 1 and verse 19. Jesus walks by and he sees the disciples, and what were they doing with their nets? Katartizo. They were mending. That's how it's translated. The same word to equip. It means to mend something that's torn, something that's broken, something that has potential to be used, and you take it and you create it to where now it can be used in a better way. The other time that verb is used is in Luke chapter 6 and verse 40. Jesus said, A mathetes, a disciple, a learner is not above his teacher. But everyone who is perfectly trained, katartizo, he should be like his master. So if you're a pastor and you've got that pastoral gift and that shepherding heart, you want to develop people to the point where they can do what you are doing even better. Now that wouldn't be too hard for me to preach. I could take somebody and probably train somebody they would far excel what I'm able to do. But that's really the mark of a good teacher. One of the things that Dr. Goers does when she teaches is she'll take those kids and she will instruct them, but their final lesson is taking what they've learned and they then have to teach the class. That's when you've got it, when you can take it and you can teach it to somebody else because then you know it, you've owned it. In fact, a teacher ends up learning way more than this pupil ever does. In fact, 90% of what you have learned, you only end up giving them a handful of it. And so this is what it means to equip and to equip saints for works of ministry. Now, Tracy has been so good, her and... Barb De La Rosa, I want to just brag on them. And they have provided something for the church that's really a practical little tool, and I'm not going to spend too much time on it. But this little chart, it's got a list of all the ministries that this church does. And I was blown away. I didn't know we did this many, many things. You know, I, I, I think I just thought I walked in here on Sunday morning and things happened. You know? <laughs> But people are behind the scenes. People are printing bulletins. People run the sound. People prepare the elements for the Lord's Supper. People clean the church. People put things in the back of the bulletins. We have ushers that come and take up the offering. We have people that, 
that, uh, that are going to help administer the Lord's Supper today. We are wanting people to greet people at the door. There's areas that we need. And so this is going to be at the back of the church. And Barb has uh, made this, this little handy uh, sign up. And this is part of my preaching. But this is how you can take this message this morning and say, okay, there's something that I see a need and I have got a gift and I've got a desire to work in that area. Jose, he's going to be the one who does maintenance. And if you see a maintenance need and you say, you know what, I, I, can, I can help, go talk to Jose. Rick helps with the ushering. You say, you know what, I, I can do that. We don't have anybody to, do, to greet people at the front door. I mean, it's kind of chaos right now when people come in and we're all, I think the whole church are greeters right now. And praise God for that. But there's areas that you can say, this is something that I'm passionate about. This is something that God has gifted me. Maybe it's working with our youth and you want to help. That reminds me this morning. I want Mitch uh, Stevenson, Stenson, what? Stenson, okay. Just found out his last name this morning. He's been here for two weeks, but this is his first Sunday that's been here for a while. But I want you to meet this young man. God has called him to be a pastor, to be a shepherd, to be a church planter in the state of Utah. And God has given him a vision for a place called Vineyard, Utah, right down on Provo, uh, Utah Lake. I mean, this is an area that's growing. New young families and three other young men. Um, uh, Mitch has had three years of Bible school at Frontier School of the Bible. He's done a year of internship, worked with the church in Wyoming. For 18 months now, he wants to sit under other churches, learn how to work in the community, how to get involved in a local church. And these three young men, they're going to go down to Vineyard, Utah, and we're going to go with them. And we're going to see another church planted in Utah out of North Valley Bible Church. Isn't that exciting? That is God's goal for the New Testament. And, and so this is, this is what God is doing at North Valley Bible Church. Um, uh, I'm not going to use them anyway, but... <laughs> so God has given pastors, teachers, and that, that gift for equipping people. Now, how long does this ministry take? Well, we want to equip people for works of ministry. The Greek word for ministry is diakonos. We all know what word that comes from, right? Deacon. It means to work in a way that you serve others. And it's to edify the entire body of Christ. The word edify means to build up, to make it stable. So we are to serve one another and we are to stabilize the church so God gives gifted people to train people to do what you are doing so that our church is stable. We've got people who are gifted in the area of helps ministry. We've got people who are gifted in the area of administration. We've got people who love and are passionate about worship. And if that's an area that you feel drawn to, these people in our church, they will equip you. They will prepare you. They will mend you. They will perfectly train you so that you can do the same things that they are doing. We could have several worship teams if God wanted us to do that. We could have several teams of greeters and ushers and so forth. And we've got people in this church who are spiritually gifted in those areas 
who will train you to do works of service to the body so that we are all edified. Now this is a a long time process, isn't it? Look with me at verse 13. It's till we come unto the unity of the faith. This is a lifetime process, isn't it? It's till we come to this unity of the faith. The unity of the faith is an expression that Paul has already used in Ephesians. He's used it in verse 3 of chapter 4, where we are to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit, till we all come to the unity of the faith. The faith is our profession in Christ. It's the gospel. And we need to come to the unity that the gospel's already provided. Go over to chapter 3, and I want to just show you how the, the gospel has provided this unity. Chapter 3, verse 6, the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. The Gentiles should be fellow, soon inheritors, heirs with the Jewish people. The unity of the faith, till we all come into this understanding of the unity of the faith. This is what the gospel does. The gospel tells us that we all share in this together. Till we all come to the unity of the faith. The Gentiles should be fellow heirs. And then what? Of the same body. This is the unity of the faith. This is what the gospel does. It brings us as shares together. It brings us into the same body. And then he kills on and says, and partakers of the promises that are in Christ. All the Old Testament promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. What that means is all the covenants were pointing to Jesus. All those promises were pointing to Jesus. And now Gentiles are partaking of the same body, fellow heirs, and all those promises that God gave Israel. And that is the unity of the faith. And we're all to come to that point. He finishes this sentence by saying, through the gospel. That is the means for all of this to happen. How does unity happen? It's all through the faith that's in Christ Jesus. And it's till we all come to that unity. And then he gives us some expressions that tell us and describe what that unity should look like. So let's go back over to chapter 4 and just look what that unity should look like. The first thing he says is the knowledge of the Son of God. There's several Greek words for knowledge. This word is a compound word. It's epigonosko. Gnosko means knowledge. Epigonosko means a knowledge that you experience. Something that is real and active and vital in your life till we all come to this experiential knowledge of Jesus that is not just a head knowledge. It is something that you live out and walk out and you experience every single day. Paul used that same word in Philippians in chapter Three and he says, this is what I want for my life. I want to know, epigonosco, I want to know the power of his resurrection. That's not something that you know intellectually. I want to experience the power of the resurrection in my life. Till we all come to the unity of the faith, that is the experiential living out Christ in your life. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. I want to know his resurrection. 
if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not that I have already attained, either already perfect, but I press after that I might apprehend, that I might grab that for which Christ has apprehended me. I want to reach that point of maturity. So that's where it starts. It starts with a full understanding of the person of Jesus Christ. That's what this faith is to lead us toward. And then he uses another phrase. He says, a perfect man. Now, it's not talking about sinless perfection. It's the Greek word teleos, which means that you reach the goal. You reach the end of what it means to be a Christian. This is maturity. A mature believer is what Paul is saying. Someone who's gone through trials, he knows how to handle them, she knows how to handle them, she knows how to rightly divide the Word of God. That's what it means to be mature. And then he gives one other phrase, of the measure of the stature. Look at all those genitives just linking together, describing one after the other. Let's read it really slow so we can really assimilate this. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The last one in that chain is Christ, isn't it? Christ has a fullness. Christ has a standard by which you and I should achieve and grow toward. The ultimate test of spiritual maturity is pretty simple, isn't it? It's Christ-likeness. That is a lifetime endeavor. And God gives gifted people to the church to equip people to serve one another so that we might be edified in this lifetime process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And we don't do that alone. We have to have the church. We have to have the body of Christ. We have to have a local church in order to have that accomplished. There is no other way. And that's Paul's recipe right here for you and I this morning. Growth is a process. It happens until we are mature. It's the confession of who Christ is. It's an experiential knowledge of Jesus. It's the measure and stature. Christ's likeness is our final test. Now, what is the result of spiritual maturity? What does that look like? What is the end result? Paul answers the question with a clause that starts out with the word that. Here is the result. Verse 14 that we should no longer be children. A mature person, this is the result, that we no longer become children. Now, let's look at the Bible. and How does the Bible define children spiritually? There are several passages that we can go to. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. One of the marks of immaturity, the one of the marks of being a child in the faith, is the lack of unity. The Corinthians were so divided. Paul says, it's actually been reported to me from the household of Chloe that there are divisions among you. One person says, I'm a follower of Peter. Another guy says, I'm a follower of Paul. Another one says, boy, I'm really spiritual. I'm a follower of Jesus. And Paul says, aren't you yet acting like children when you're all divided? And so Paul says, you're no longer divided. There is unity in the church. So immaturity, one of the signs of immaturity is divisiveness. Another sign of immaturity is that you need to be taught all over again the basic principles. I get this from Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, and I've 
memorized it in King James. That's just the old language that I grew up reading, and it's easier for me to memorize. But it says, for when the time come, you ought to be teachers. You have need to be taught again the very principles and oracles of God. You've become need of milk and not strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. He is obeyed. Strong meat belongs to those who are full age, who by reason of use, the word of God, who through reason of use, have their senses, that is your spiritual perception, gymnasium. We all know what a gymnasium is, don't we? Have your spiritual senses gone to the gym to do a workout so that you can discern good and evil. A spiritual mature person is someone who has their spiritual senses. They've taken the Word of God. They've exercised it. They've taken the Word of God. They've assimilated it. They've meditated on it. They've memorized it. They've applied it in different areas. And Paul, I think Paul wrote Hebrews. I'm kind of biased there. But I think what he's saying there, he says, you ought to be teachers by now. If you've been a believer for any length of time, you should be able to take somebody else and teach them what God has taught you. And Paul says when we use our spiritual gifts together, when we come a part of a local church and we get along somebody who's gifted in an area that we're not gifted in, and we let them develop us in that area, I, I really think God put Dan Robinson and myself together for a purpose because Dan was gifted in so many areas that I was not gifted. And I remember telling him, Dan, I'll never be a pastor like you are. And he said, yes, you can be. And I remember him looking at the, some of the outlines and the way I would teach. He said, I, I don't think I could ever teach like you could, Pat. And I said, yes, you can, Dan. All you have to do is discipline yourself to diagram passage, see where the clauses fit together. You can do this. And he would go and visit with me and I would watch him in a living room with somebody and just shepherd them. And God put him in my life because I needed to be equipped in something that I didn't have. And Dan prepared me and hope vice versa. But what, that's what God wants to do in all of our lives so that we come to the unity, so that we're no longer immature. Children. Another thing about children is there's instability in them. I mean, I mean you've got to do everything for them. Change their diapers. You know, Tanya's here this morning. <laughs> she knows what that's like. Seven little ones. My daughter-in-law, she's going to have another one. That's number four for them. Kelly, you got a good family started. That's what my dad always used to tell me until we got six. And he says, okay, that's enough. <laughs> but children, and Paul uses words here about a sea. The wind just blows immature people around you know, when I was immature, I, I would read a book, and then I would get on that bandwagon. And then somebody else would give me another book. I mean, it was just the opposite, and I'd jump on that bandwagon. And that, that's not a good place to be, by the way. You've got, in fact, I wish people didn't give me books. I wish they just told me to read my Bible. <laughs> because that's where we need to come. We need to come to God's Word Know what it says, know what I believe, and why I believe it, so that I'm not just picking something off Google, off of YouTube, and, and whatever garbage is out there, and saying, boy, this is really good stuff, because there's a lot of bad stuff. 
so that we're no longer blown around by every wind of doctrine, by the deceitful cunningness of men. And this is where it really gets where the rubber meets the road. Verse 15. This is a participle, and it's modifying the second phrase. May grow up. May grow up. So the result of being spiritually mature, I'm no longer an infant, and then that I might grow up. And how does that happen? By people speaking the truth. I'm so glad that he put that little realm in what area do we speak the truth? In love. Because if those two things don't go together, it's not going to work. Speaking the truth is the best thing for you and I in our spiritual lives to grow up. My wife is my truth speaker in my life, and I thank God for her. Because she tells me not what I want to hear. She tells me what I need to hear. I just wish you'd tempered a little bit more in love. <laughs> I've been bragging on you. got to at least say that. She does, though. She really does. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Paul was a man who spoke the truth when he needed to. Paul went to the area of Galatia. He started churches there, and right after he left, bad teachers came. And he wrote a letter to them, and he uses the exact same phrase here, speaking the truth. He says, these people are zealously courting you. They've got a great zeal to come after you, but not so that they can win you over to sound doctrine, but so that you can be an advocate for, advocate for their false teaching. He says, therefore, have I become your enemy because I am speaking the truth to you? Paul saved that church from going down the road of legalism. He saved that church from going into a false doctrine, false gospel, false believers, because he was willing to speak the truth in love. That's how we grow up in Christ, by speaking the truth in love. May grow up into Him. And who is the source? The source is none other than Jesus Christ. That is the source from which every one of us gets our nourishment, our supply, and the ability to use your spiritual gift. If we go back to um, uh, chapter 4, verse 7, each one of us is given the gifts according to the measure of Christ's gift. He is the source of giftedness. He is the source of strength for you to use your gift. And He is the measure of the fullness that God wants us to come to. From whom the whole body joined in it together by which every part does its share. Let's just kind of break that down before we go. This happens when each one of us is unified to Christ. Christ is our source. Christ is the power source from which every joint is knit together. There is such diversity in the body of Christ and every one of us needs to be rightly 
associated, rightly directed underneath the headship of Jesus Christ, getting our nourishment from Him. And then we need to be rightly connected, fitly joined. It means, it means like a building that, that is just so well designed where every part, every corner, every joint that just looks like just one beautiful uh, um, architectural masterpiece. I, I got a room in, in my house that they were remodeling and a, a friend came over and he says, do you have a square? And I said, no. He says, yeah, I can tell because <laughs> everything, nothing fit together. He says, I don't know how you're going to get sheetrock on that. It's going it's to look like this going down the wall. But now after he, he'd worked with it and tore some stuff down and added some stuff, it is now fitly joined together. It's a building now that's going to actually do something. And Paul uses this, this term once before in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20. So let's just, let's just flip over there and just see what, what Paul is talking about when he says, I want this building fitly joined together. So chapter 2, verse 20, and 21 and 20, 22. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building... And here it is, the whole building being fitted together. It grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We are being fitted together as a body. Notice that all through Ephesians, it's always talking about the body. We are being fitted together. We are a dwelling place for the Spirit of Christ in the Lord. This is where Christ wants to reside, when we are fitted and joined together, when we individually, I'm not negating that truth, you have got to be walking close with Christ, but we've got to be united and knit together using your various gifts where every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So let's just kind of give a summary to what we've been talking about this morning. First of all, spiritual growth. The emphasis is on the corporate body of the local church. Individuals are very important. Yes, every individual must be connected rightly with Christ. He is your source. But we all benefit from one another's diversity. Number two, spiritual maturity is acquired through practical experience till we all come unto the knowledge of the Son of God. You have got to personally experience Christ in your life. It's not just theology. It's not just a Bible study. It's not a book that you're reading. It is a person who lives and dwells in your heart whom you can walk with, talk with, and ask for whatever you need. That is our Savior, and that's what maturity is going to, that's what it means practically. Number three, it is developed over time when we grow in doctrinal truth. It is a lifetime pursuit when we compare ourselves to the fullness of Christ. It's when everyone does their gift and when everyone is willing to submit to those who are gifted over you. 1 Peter chapter 5 starts out like this. To the elders, 
to the overseers, to the bishops, I exhort. And Peter says, I am a fellow elder, soon presbyter. I'm also just an elder. He says, I'm not lording it over you. And I am exhorting you to shepherd the flock which is among you. You're to do it willingly, out of a joyful heart. Use your gifts willingly, not out of constraint, not because you have to, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Peter goes on to say, he says, all of you be subject to one another and be clothed with humility. So if there's a gifted area in your life and you see somebody in this church that's got that gift, come and submit to them and say, I want you to teach me what you are doing so that I can do it as well as you are. We've got gifted women in here who do Bible studies. We've got gifted men in here who are evangelists. We've got gifted people in this church who are administrators. We've got people in this church who have got the gift of hospitality. And you don't have to tell them to be greeters. They just do it. They just open their homes up. Submit to those people and learn from those people. Father God, I thank you this morning that we are remembering the Lord's Supper this morning. Because this is a communion. It is a community meal. In the early New Testament church, it was a meal that they came together and they shared in a home where everybody brought, everybody partook of the same bread, everybody partook of the same cup because we are one in Christ. Lord, this morning, we want to remember what Jesus Christ has done. We want to proclaim His death, His burial, and His resurrection until He comes again for us. God bless this time of worship as we remember your sacrifice on the cross, your death, your resurrection to life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.